1: Each Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this weekend and what's ahead for this week. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at iirsports, one word, dot com. As always, I will give you my highlights lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, we'll be joined next segment by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham, veteran media personality, who for years has covered Alabama football, among other sports. So we'll look forward to having A.P. join us, as always. Well, my highlight of the week is Loyola Chicago making the Final Four with a resounding win versus Kansas State. No more of uh, winning three games by a total of four points. Uh, Loyola looked every bit a Final Four team as they uh, easily defeated Kansas State by double figures. And uh, it's simply the story of the NCAA tournament by far. It's going to be the sister's gene show down in San Antonio. It already has been, and it's just going to increase exponentially. She of course is the team chaplain age 98 years young. And, uh, she's just been terrific, uh, terrific interview. And, uh, as evidenced by her great one liner, when they asked, uh, what did Loyola Chicago give up for Lent? she said losing and of course uh there's the looming possibility that she and she expressed her uh enjoyment of charles barkley as an announcer so those two may get together down in san antonio as well so uh it's going to be great i spent a lot of time down in san antonio uh Covering and working at the U.S. Army All-American Bowl for years, and it's just a great city. Riverwalk and whatnot, uh, great weather typically, and uh, I think it's just going to be a great Final Four host city. So it's quite a weekend. Uh, the NCAA Eastern Regional was here in Boston, so a lot of energy in the city. So I went in yesterday. uh into the Boston Garden area, TD Garden I should say, and ended up going to a Villanova watch party. Tons of Villanova fans here, given the easy drive from Philadelphia, not mention the countless alumni who live up here in the Boston area. So it was absolutely great. Uh, Pre-game, watching during the game, and uh, then post-game, Uh, Was the best of all, because they were obviously celebrating while watching with great interest the Kansas Duke classic. Uh, And the classic it was with two of college basketball's thoroughbreds uh, going into overtime. Where Malik Newman of Kansas stole the show. He scored all 13 overtime points. And he was uh, covering Grayson Allen on that final shot in regulation, that would have won the game for Duke. It literally bounced on the rim, touched the rim at five different points as it rolled around and then finally came out. Uh, So what a moment. That may have been the quintessential moment as that ball was uh, circling around the rim uh, it was just fabulous watching with the big crowd of people who truly had a vested interest, meaning the Villanova fans knowing they're going to be playing the winner of that game this coming Saturday in San Antonio. And in addition to that, uh, tons of West Virginia and Purdue fans, uh, as well as Texas Tech who was actually playing, uh, Villanova yesterday in the Eastern regional final they were in the area as well. Uh, you know, even though their teams lost WVU and Purdue on Friday night at the garden, uh, you know, why not stick around for a weekend in Boston? And that's exactly what they did. So it was a genuine hoop extravaganza and, uh, it was just so much fun, uh, just being around the garden before, during and after the game. Uh, even went to a Duke uh, watch party for a time. A uh, fair amount of Duke alumni here in Boston as well. So it was just really uh, enjoyable. And I think it just sets up for a perfect final four. Villanova, Kansas and Michigan, Loyola, Chicago. Reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, the uh, some of the previous final fours we, we've had where you have a C- Cinderella crashing the party. Whether it's uh, Butler, George Mason, VCU, I think uh, when that happens, it just makes the entire Final Four, I think it just elevates it, because number one, uh, Cinderella just draws in the casual fans, uh, just to root for the underdog, it's the American way, so Loyola Chicago has that (laughs) in spades this week, Uh, and... Then that's balanced off by, you know, two absolute basketball, Blue Bloods, uh, Kansas forever, Villanova, uh, great history. But if if there's any doubt, they have certainly moved into the uh, Blue Blood uh, arena. No doubt about that. They're there. uh, The second final four in three years. They, of course, won the title two years ago in Chris Jenkins. Memorable shot. So it is going to be uh, a terrific Final Four and nothing like Saturday night, the two games back-to-back, uh, one of the top sports nights of the year in American sports. Sticking with the, final, with the uh, regionals, my bizarre story of the week was Florida State on Saturday night, playing Michigan, down four. And then they came down the floor with about 15 seconds or so to go and took just a terrible three-point attempt. Uh, but then the bizarre part was they were not fouling and let the final 11 seconds just run off. And what was made it so bizarre was the fouling strategy had actually worked in the previous couple minutes as Michigan was missing fair amount of foul shots, including a couple uh, uh, front end of the one-on-ones. And so, you know, it was just surreal to watch the 11 seconds just basically go off the clock with no attempt at a foul, no nothing. Michigan basically just dribbled it off while the Florida State players uh, stood around. Uh, we've got even more bizarre when minutes later, uh, Dana Jacobson from CBS interviewed Florida state coach, Leonard Hamilton, who basically was put off by the question. It was of course the obvious question. I had it in my mind. Uh, you know, the announcers were talking about it. Charles Barkley and the crew were immediately wondering about it and you you had to, it was just so, uh, Obviously, had to deal, you know, that that was just so, so bizarre. They did not foul. So Leonard Ham, Coach Hamilton was just uh, quite put off, almost seemed confused, actually made a reference of like not really recalling like the final minute and almost walked off. Uh, but to his credit, he uh, stuck with it and praised Michigan and then come out in a tweet this morning and just said uh, the, the emotions got the best of them and immediately following the game. And so all credit to him for, uh, you know, following up on it, shall we say. And uh, but, you know, it was just a, a strange ending because, again, for me, what made it so bizarre was simply that their fouling strategy in the last few minutes of the game was actually working. They closed the gap. Uh, Because Michigan was missing some foul shots. So, uh, we shall see. Michigan is in. uh, Big Ten Conference champions. And they're going to go against Loyola Chicago. And uh, two Midwest teams. Bound to be great stuff. But again, Saturday night, sure to be special. Well, my low light of the week is Steph Curry's Hyperextended knee, which Coach Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors said is going to keep him out of, not th- uh, through the opening round of the playoffs. Uh, you know, this is seismic stuff, uh, potentially. Uh, if indeed it rolls into the first round, Golden State, basically all four of their stars, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and now Steph Curry, are. Injured, coming off injury, whatever. Uh, It feels like forever since we've seen the four of them on the floor together. Um, But this is a game changer potentially in every way in that uh, it feels like it's almost, you you know, the Houston Rockets are now going to be the number one seed in the West, forcing Golden State. uh, If they want to defend their title from last year, their second in three years uh, that they're not going to have home court advantage theoretically if they end up playing Houston in the Western finals, which is what certainly we all expect. Uh, and then without Steph Curry in the first round, if it really turns out that way and he's been injured before he comes back fairly quickly and plays well when he comes back, uh, you know, anything's possible, uh, even the lower seeds in the West are excellent, teams. They're so stacked out West. So that is going to be, uh, you know, pretty interesting to watch. Uh, Steph Curry is the shining star, shining light. Uh, speaking personally, you know, I've gotten to see him in, in the garden twice when he's come in the past few years. He's the, for me personally, the, you know, the best watch in basketball, uh, and, To not have him there would just really – the the playoffs would be missing something. And lastly, my NFL player engagement story that I wrote uh, was on Andrew Hawkins, uh, former Brown and Bengal, uh, talking about how attending NFL broadcast boot camp has helped launch his very impressive media career in just the last – less than a year uh he's on espn does a podcast with former brown great offensive lineman joe thomas uh works with lebron james and mavericks carter's company uh spoke at the mit uh sports symposium recently up here in boston so andrew hawkins is a uh is just having a terrific start to his media career, no surprise, he grew up uh, right in the area where I grew up. actually went to my rival high school back in Western Pennsylvania, he's from Johnstown. I grew up in Altoona, a little bit of Sparta and Athens there and he's just a terrific guy. I've also uh, interviewed on a few occasions his older brother, Artrell Hawkins, who had a terrific NFL career himself uh, including with the Patriots and uh, also with the Bengals as well, uh, among others. And the Hawkins family is, uh, you know, when it comes to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and maybe even Western Pennsylvania, they're the first family of football. Uh, the Western Pennsylvania version of uh, the Mannings, shall we say. So again, my article uh, on Andrew is that www.nflplayerengagement.com and uh it was great great to connect with andrew who i have interviewed before he uh got his mba or masters uh from columbia recently all the while uh while signing with the patriots but then retiring right at the beginning of training camp uh So he got his degree, signed with the Patriots, and attended NFL broadcast boot camp all in the same week. One wild week for Andrew Hawkins. So now let's take our break. And next up will be our weekly call in expert, AP Stedham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports. So don't go anywhere.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: Join Matt Fish and Alex Clancy every week for Rebound Radio. We'll talk with the legends of basketball about how they got started, their rise to the top of the game, how basketball has changed their lives, and what they're up to now, just like the game itself you'll find that lives can pivot on a dime. There can be last-minute saves, and life is anything but run-of-the-mill. Rebound Radio can be heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. You won't want to miss the next show.
0: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show.
1: Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is one eight 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 three four six nine one four four. Or you can email me at IIR at comcast dot net. And it's out time of the show in our weekly call and expert, AP Stedham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports. Well thank you for joining us and uh you like tens of millions of others including myself uh watched a lot of basketball over the weekend March Madness and uh I thought it was great. The Final Four is now set. And uh, What was your takeaway from the weekend?
4: Yeah, John, I think we've discussed this in the past a few times about the level of skill required to be a good basketball player. And if you have the skill versus the optimal level of athleticism, you can compete at a high level. And you saw that from teams like Loyola of Chicago. They all can
1: dribble, shoot, and
4: pass and they were over able to overcome more athletic teams and get their way to the final four.
1: Absolutely. I watched that game, uh, in its entirety focused, uh, on Saturday evening and, you know, had watched the first three games, which they won by a total of four points, uh, great buzzer beaters and whatnot. Uh, but they didn't have to deal with that on Saturday night. I mean, they're just a really good team. The announcers are saying it, but it's obvious watching the game that uh you know, all four players all five players can can play. They can uh, for you know, four of them can shoot from anywhere on the floor and the big man, young guy, had a heck of a game. Uh great presence and you know, so the problem they seem to be presenting for everybody they're playing is, is, you know, you can't single out one or even two guys. You have four big-time scorers who can score a multitude of ways to, to defend, and, and it's just too much. To, you know, not every team has that, and somehow, some way, it's ended up, you know, with that squad and uh, that group of talent in Loyola, Chicago. I think it's just terrific. And then, of course, there's Sister Jean, the story of the tournament, obviously.
4: Yeah, John, it's so difficult to keep trying to close out on every defensive possession all the players that are capable of shooters. That wears you out, I mean you 're not used to running around the court, trying to guard everybody. Uh, I mean, you watch a lot of these teams, their offenses are based on maybe a pick and roll. The other three players are standing well defensively, I love to play against those teams because you're you're storing your energy for offense because they're not moving on on their offen- in, with their offensive schemes, so I think that's one of the traits that endears people to Loyola. They, they run an offense. You have to guard almost everybody on the court, and even the big man can make a, a, a viable pass you know, or an assist. So I think that's something that uh, it, it seems it's hard to duplicate, John, because we've seen it at all levels. If you watch high school basketball, maybe a state championship game, you see a, a team that you're, you're thinking, where's the outstanding player? Where's the athletic player that's going to dominate? But they have five players that can shoot, dribble, and pass. You see it on the collegiate level with Loyola, a team like Loyola, and you see it at the, the super level like Villanova. They have those types of players. Then you see it like with a team such as San Antonio and the pros where they pass around the ball around the perimeter or they drive to the goal and get easy buckets. But I guess the formula is hard to duplicate because there's not that many teams who mirror uh, that personnel scheme.
1: Exactly. Well, very well said. Good analysis. <clears throat> and yeah, they're, they're, they're just a rare collection. Um, and the fact that they ended up at this small Catholic school on the shores of uh, Lake Michigan is, you know, doubly interesting. You know, they won the NCAA championship in 1963, I think it was. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a foreign concept. In fact, it's really pretty cool. That, uh, frankly, teams like that used to win back in the day, and, and they certainly did. And, uh, and um, you know, y- you also have and the city of Chicago is literally head over heels. I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, veteran Chicago reporters are saying that this is practically, you know, approaching Cubs mania. And what I like about it was it was instant, meaning the minute. They won their first game that Thursday afternoon. It uh, seems like a lifetime ago. When they won on a three-pointer at the buzzer, it was like the entire city of Chicago, great sports fans out there, just immediately were all in. And, you know, they've been rewarded. So often, you know, the small school that makes the buzzer beater, you, you know, loses the next game, and that, that's just the end of it. Uh, you know, and, and the team, they're uh you know, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, got it right, UMBC that beat Virginia. Uh, that's what happened to them, even though their victory was so seismic, it will be remembered forever with history, college sports history, not just basketball history. So so it's just great. It's like all the ingredients are there. And then the, uh, you know, the icing on the cake is, of course, Sister Jean, which just simply gives it a, you know, that, that extra special aspect uh she's she's an amazingly good interview i mean she really is it's impressive for anybody at any age let alone age 98 it's amazing
4: yeah her mind is very sharp and she's quick-witted yep. and spontaneous i mean all of the things you look for in a good to
1: television interview yeah she had the line of the tournament just uh, recently, I guess they when they asked her, you know, what she, what did Loyola Chicago give up for, for Lent, and she said losing. And, uh, you know, even the thing where she like filled out the bracket and had them losing what would have been their third game. She, you know, she even was able to just, you know, deftly, kind of work her way through that, you, you know, in a perfectly lucid way, and it was, you know, that was logical and. Yeah, she's a fan, she knows her stuff. There's no denying it and it's clear that when they give her you know the hug each player after the game, I mean it's clear their affection for her. Yeah, there's uh
4: that affection that comes through on the TV, you can't be denied and yep. they're having fun with this sort of like a mascot type person. And she's that her age is endearing to everybody across America. And when you hear people, they're saying how they're getting old. I mean, nothing old about her. She's at every game and cheering her team and
1: enjoying the moment. Exactly. I mean, it it really is great. You know, for me, it's a perfect bracket. You know, as I said at the end of the first segment, uh, you know, two blue bloods. Big name in Michigan, Blue Bloods, of course, Villanova and, uh, and Kansas and, and then a Cinderella a la, you know, Butler, George Mason, VCU. I, I just think to me that sets up for a perfect final four because even the casual viewer will tune in when there's uh you know, a Cinderella because America loves the underdog. It's the American way. And, uh. So to me, it just sets up for just a perfect, perfect Final Four. And San Antonio is a great city to host. I've spent a lot of time there, as I've discussed often through the years. Uh, And I think it's going to be a fun weekend. Can't wait for Saturday night, that's for sure.
4: Yeah, on one side of the bracket, John, you have the Michigan, I mean the Midwest, and then you have Loyola of Chicago, another big Big Midwest city, so that's perfect right. for TV. They're most loving having Michigan and Loyola. One of those two teams will be in the Final Four, so you get a big audience from the Midwest, and and you know then on the other side you get the East Coast of uh, Villanova and uh, also Kansas, uh, uh, blue blood. So I think the TV people are probably pretty happy. There's nobody from the West Coast or the South, but. I think they have two big areas uh, that will watch the final
1: final game. Oh yeah, in the same way people will tune in to watch a Loyola, a Cinderella is the exact same way people will also tune in just to see like a Kansas uh such as, you know, Kansas Duke was must see T V yesterday, classic two thoroughbreds, classic game, and uh it, it was just awesome to see and uh you know Grayson Allen with the ball in his hands had the last couple of shots but the you know he had two shots at a three-pointer in overtime but what will always be remembered in my mind will be you know how that ball rolled around at the end of regulation they showed on ESPN it touched the rim five different times before coming out um at the end of regulation Uh, would have won the game
4: oh yeah John, when he had that ball at the point, I thought that he was going to really set up his a jump shot with a dribble and just right. instead of that more difficult one off the backboard, which he almost made of course, and then he had that three-pointer. He didn't look like he shot it with authority that last shot that he attempted from the corner. But I thought he was in perfect position. He had plenty of time to make the moves and yes. get a nice little jump shot. But no, he, was, he forced it in there in was off-balance and although he almost made it, I. A lot of times you're watching these games and you're thinking, you know, just make your move around the free throw line, put up a nice jump shot, which is more natural than trying to force it. And you're making all these gyrations and hoping that it goes in. But that, that was my opinion, but it felt oh, I agree. It short.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say about that exactly what I said about Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. you know, even the staunchest duke fan or the staunchest patriot fan you can't complain tom brady had the ball twice in his hands in the final five minutes of the super bowl didn't get it done same with grayson allen the senior like him or dislike him uh he had the ball in his hands at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime and you know didn't get it done so i mean you can't complain about that situation my mind and oh by the way let's not forget Malik Newman from Kansas he scored all 13 overtime points and was the guy guarding Grayson Allen on that final possession in regulation so uh, (laughs) what a what a five minutes and 10 seconds he played Uh, talk about memorable so good for him
4: I mean, yes, yeah, his, his name will go down forever in Kansas basketball. I mean, that's incredible to score 13 points, correct, in that you know in that overtime. I mean, he's a transfer from Mississippi State, and he sought to play elsewhere, and things have turned out for him. He's in a Final Four, and he was the star of that game. So uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do these ne- next two, but he's got him into the Final Four for what? That's the 15th time in Kansas history, I guess.
1: Exactly. Yes, they are. You know, (laughs) what can you say about Kansas? They are the ultimate blue blood in many ways. Uh, So, yeah, uh, good for him. I mean, what he did was just amazing. And uh, it'll be fun to watch him in the final four. And hard to believe AP, we're here at the end of our first segment together. So why don't we take a break now and a whole lot more NCAA talk to get to on the other side.
2: Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: the call-in number is one 888 346 or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Sedum of Bama Magazine and a veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports. So, A.P., we were talking a lot of uh, NCAA march madness in the previous segment we're going to continue with that Uh, as i said at the top of the show i went into the boston garden yesterday uh, the area around the garden and it was just really uh electric atmosphere with of course villanova dominating given the proximity from boston to philadelphia tons of villanova alumni living up here in boston so ultimately, ended up at a Villanova watch party before the game, during the game, and then afterwards, it turned into a, a celebration. Plus, intense, intense interest from the Villanova fans on the Kansas Duke game because they were obviously Villanova's playing the winner of that game. So it was just great. AP, and then mixed in with that was you know a lot of leftover. West Virginia and Purdue fans lost on Friday night, but decided to stick around. And of course, Texas Tech who played Villanova yesterday, uh, a lot of their fans as well. So it was just, it, it was just like a college sports festival AP. Just the energy was incredible, pretty decent weather. And just the Boston garden area was, was jumping like a, like you would see for a Celtic playoff game. It was awesome.
4: Yeah, John, I think what I learned, by watching all these games is the ball must still go through the hoop for your team to win. You could play outstanding defense, uh, be pretty good as a rebounder, but in the end, you must put the ball in the basket. That's the name of the game. All these other intricacies contribute to a win, but there's nothing like making baskets and hitting all your free throws, as many as you can. It's it just, you know, uh, it's mandatory if you're going to st- keep continuing in the tournament winning games. I mean, even though uh, yesterday when you watched the Texas Tech game, both teams were off. The team, the better offensive team, you know, Villanova, they they were able to survive uh, Texas Tech. They did everything, played defense, hustled, but they couldn't make baskets. And so it's just imperative that you, you score in the game of basketball, it's just not like football. You can hold somebody to 14 to 7, or I don't believe you can hold teams down for six games and win that tournament.
1: Right. And it's, you know, it's such a good point. You know, and Charles Barkley himself touched on that at one some point over the weekend where he basically said, you know, uh, but just that, you have to have offense to win NCAA tournament games, period. There's no... Uh, the old adage of defense wins championships doesn't necessarily apply, uh, you know, to basketball in general and certainly to March Madness. You, I, I think the best evidence of that, AP, and I think it's gotten lost in all the craziness of the past couple of weeks is uh, when Virginia lost in the historic upset. Uh, As number one overall seed, losing to a 16 for the first time in college basketball history, they ended up scoring 52 points. I mean, to me, that's the story of that game. The number one team in the country and in the tournament, overall seed, scored 52 points. They're not going to beat anybody, let alone University of Maryland, Baltimore County, who scored over 70. Uh, So you're right. I agree with you 100%.
4: Yeah, and John, you know, that is with the three point shot and, and the shot clock. So, I mean, that's a really bad game when you score 50 points in college basketball nowadays on the men's side. It's just, you've got to come up with something to make it fun for your team. You have to, and you have to be able to compete uh, with many styles of basketball as well. I mean, if you're a team that likes to run your offense and run the shot clock down, if you're behind, You've got to scrap everything and make the adjustments I mean nobody did that better than maybe Jim Valvano right when he had an offensive game plan and it wasn't working or defensive he would change on the fly he 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 didn't hesitate he he made the switch and his teams were better uh, through the years with, with that type of coaching style
1: absolutely absolutely uh, you know I'll go back to another example a different sport but you know growing up uh, watching the Pittsburgh Steelers in western Pennsylvania, where I'm from, uh, you know, when you think of the first two Steelers Super Bowls in the uh, early 1970s, mid-1970s, you, you know, you think Steel Curtain and defense. And to me, the the uh, biggest, uh, you know, compliment you could ever, ever pay Chuck Noll, their legendary coach, would be, you know, when uh, – you know, when he, when Bradshaw finally came around and Swan, Stallworth, uh, you know, he knew what to do. And all of a sudden, their their next two Super Bowls were all about, you know, mostly about, more about the offense and Bradshaw swa- throwing to Swan and Stalworth. And that to me is, you know, you know, and then Belichick does it as well. You know, he's uh, had his moments with defense, but, you know, when, two, you know, When Brady got has people like Gronk or Randy Moss, you know, go put it up fifty times a game. So that to me is you know you got to have the offense. And I know defense wins championships. I get it, but uh, not as much in in basketball as football. Plus, if you just have a great offensive threat, anything is possible. You know, uh, you know if you have that one guy. uh, But you know, go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: No no let's say john if you if you have somebody who commands a double team right basketball, that's clearly critical to to improve the other players on the court or you have an extreme extremely good passer who can set up the other people uh, and then if you have uh individuals on your team that can make the three pointer and let's say uh, there's three of them then that's such an advantage because They said, you're going to have to close out all the time, and that wears the other team down defensively, and they can't do it for six games.
1: Correct, correct. Um, Speaking of not doing it, we can't go any further without talking about the bizarre Florida State-Michigan ending where... They come down, Florida State down four, 15 so, or so seconds to play. And the guy just rushed up, the Florida State player, just really rushed up a, a horrible three-point attempt, which was odd in and of itself because he had time. But then whoops, even more odd was, you know, when Michigan got the rebound with 11 seconds left, again, up four, that, Florida State didn't foul. They just let Michigan dribble the ball out 11 seconds. It can feel like a lifetime. Uh, and what was crazy about that was that they had been fouling Michigan the previous few minutes because they were behind, and the strategy was working. Like, Michigan was actually missing foul shots, including the front ends of one-on-ones. And that was just crazy. And then it was capped off by the extremely awkward exchange, uh post-game interview with Dana Jacobson from CBS and, of course, Coach Leonard Hamilton, where he seemed to basically said he didn't really recall the last minute and almost walked off. But to his credit, he did. He stuck with it and praised Michigan. But that was a bizarre few minutes, AP. That's for sure.
4: Yeah, I watched that game. and I saw that there was 11 seconds, and they just let the clock run down. And I'm thinking... I've seen it, I mean, I I go back so far, John, I remember there was 18 seconds, I think, one time when North Carolina was down by, I think, eight against the team, and uh, this was about the three-point shot years ago, and Walter Davis hit about a 40-footer to tie it, and they had they were down, I think it was eight, with 18 seconds to go, and that was before the three-point shot, and uh, so I'm, I don't know why Coach Hamilton chose not to foul, You'll have to live with that, I guess i mean that that was it was like as you said, the correct word is bizarre yes because the NCAA tournament is built around these last second shots and and all these things that could happen in a few seconds if you If you get lucky, you practice all these things of you know throwing the long pass and taking the ball out of bounds and And, you know, why do all these things if you're not going to employ it when the time comes?
1: Yeah, and then we had that game just a couple weeks ago, maybe the craziest ending of all time, where from remembering a clock, it was certainly Louisville, but was it Virginia playing Louisville and Virginia scored four or five points in the last one second? (laughs) It seems impossible, (laughs) but I think I'm right about that, or one, most, two seconds. I think it was like 1.8 seconds. And they were down. a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a lot shorter than 11 seconds and oh by the way that 11 seconds as I'm watching it it was like the longest 11 seconds ever. Like I'm watching in disbelief as Florida State is not fouling and it just seemed to go on endlessly for you know. Typically these 11 seconds fly by obviously but that was crazy. Right. right. Usually 11 yeah, seconds I mean, can take 5 minutes to play yeah. in a, at the end of an NCAA yeah, game. Right.
4: Yeah, and I've always thought of, of Leonard Hamilton's teams as competing to the final buzzer. And
1: well, that so was that the,
4: really surprised me.
1: Well, that was the worst part of it. Was yeah, you know, I don't think it's true, but the visual was that they quit. It just was, because Michigan sort of dribbling the ball around. They seemed surprised that nobody was fouling them, and basically the Florida State players were generally just sort of walking off the floor, almost like not paying attention. It was just odd. It was like it's highly, highly unusual and not something, not only not something we're not used to seeing, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it before at the end of a tournament game. So just, you see it all in March Madness, don't you, AP? Yeah,
4: yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking about the question why not? Why not right.
1: try? Well, again, and my big thing, my instant thought, like within the first two to three seconds was the strategy had been working. Michigan had been missing foul shots and Florida state had cut into their lead, you know, in the two, three, four minutes left in the game. It was like, I, I could almost make more sense of it. Like Michigan was just simply draining foul shots. You know, everyone that they were getting in the last few minutes but it wasn't happening that way at all. And I think there was one guy on Michigan that was not a good free throw shooter and he was missing consistently. So they, they actually you know, had a target that they couldn't foul. But not to be AP and hard to believe again, uh, these segments go so quickly, but we are done with this one as well. Uh, we have one more to go and we'll do so on the other side.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Sports and medicine go hand in hand.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now back to the show
1: voice America listeners welcome back to the fourth and final segment of all around sports I'm your host John Inglesby I'm back on the line with us as our weekly call and expert AP Stedham veteran multimedia multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports and AP we've covered a lot of the NCAA March Madness regional finals from the weekend uh in our previous two segments, but as always, there's uh, there, there's football stuff going on, and we love our football. And uh, it sounds like uh, Alabama is up to uh, is planning ahead, shall we say, for what could be some future marquee mega matchups.
4: Yeah, John, they've been speaking uh, since last year, about this time, I think it was, at Nick Saban maybe on his radio show, or maybe before, he's he was entertaining some home-and-home home series uh, with, with, of course, major Power 5 teams. And it came out over the weekend. that It's been reported that Alabama was talking to the University of Texas with a home-and-home home series and University of Notre Dame wow. for a home-and-home home series. And then also, which a story I had written back in June of 2017 that Alabama might be playing... USC University of Southern California in 2020 at a neutral site, probably in Arlington, Texas. So they're, they're, they're uh, trying to get these games, you know, nailed down. They're negotiating. But if you look at these other teams across the country, I mean, they're they're playing home and home series with some Power Five teams, and you know, Notre Dame does every year. Southern Cal plays Notre Dame and Texas and some other teams throughout this. Uh, you know, decade, and, and, uh, you know, Texas is playing Notre Dame and, you know, Maryland and USC and uh, other teams on their schedule, but Alabama uh, might have some openings like in 25-26 and 23-24, but they do not have a game against the major Power 5 team in 2020, so This seems to be the the direction they're headed. I don't know if those games will be scheduled, but there's been some talks and negotiation.
1: I love it. I love it. Uh, You know, what jumps right out at me is uh, Alabama, Texas. I would love to see that. Two tremendous traditions. Uh, Notre Dame, I don't know if they've still recovered or will have recovered by 2020 from the beatdown in the national championship game against alabama a few years ago uh down there in miami uh but yeah and then alabama usc they have the great history going back as as you know better than anyone with uh sam bam cunningham and legion field and early 70s if i remember correctly so
4: yeah yeah they played a two home and home series in that decade and it goes back to the rose bowl of 46 and i think they even played before that in 37 and with USC, but this gives you an idea. The last time Alabama played a regular season game against USC was that 2016 in, in Texas, and then before that it was 1978. They played once in the Aloha Bowl 1985, and just, Alabama has not played Notre Dame in a regular season game since 1987. Wow. Which is, I mean, that's too long. And then they have—they've never played the University of Texas uh, except in a bowl game that I know.
1: Of. Really? Yeah. Well, again, that's the one. If if you asked me to choose that Alabama could only play one of those three teams, I for one would take Texas because I just, you know, i have always loved their tradition. I've spent some time down in Austin, and uh, yeah, that, that, that's one that I, I would just really. Uh, like to see, and uh, you just said, I think you just said why. I, I, maybe I had it in the back of my head that Alabama has never paid Texas in the regular season. That's uh, astounding, astounding fact.
4: It's, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, that's all these administrations and coaches, and uh, so they've never visited Tuscaloosa, and Alabama's never visited
1: Austin. Oh, my. That's just crazy. Wow. It was interesting because, and I have Texas on the mind because I was watching, of course, the World Golf Championship down in Austin for a time over the weekend. uh, And they did a really nice little piece on showing Darryl Royal Stadium, which I've walked by but have never attended for a game. But I've twice have been there and walked around. It's just a beautiful setting. Seats 100,000. And uh so yeah, it was just nice to see that in the middle of the golf tournament. So it kind of got, uh, yeah, UT and, and Darrell Royal and whatnot on my mind. Cause they, they had that on yesterday afternoon. And, uh, uh-huh. so yeah, that would be a, just a terrific matchup and who knows now with Tom Herman. In, I expect Texas a star to start rising. I think we all do.
4: Yeah. It'd be great to see that to visit Austin for a game. Uh, I don't think I've been there for a ball game so that's on my bucket list of course and I know it's that fans—they would certainly enjoy going to Tuscaloosa.
1: Yeah. And you said it perfectly. I mean, that's the best way for me to describe it is uh it's on my bucket list. You know, again, I walked around it twice during the off season and it, it, I don't know how else to say you just have to be there to un- to know what the setting looks like and the way it's set up there, basically right on campus, and uh, it, it just, I, 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 you walk around and you just say, boy, would this be fun on a Saturday night with 100,000 people, especially if you throw in an Alabama type of opponent. Uh, it would be a classic, so, and, and Austin is just such a great city, and which brings us full circle right back to San Antonio, Final Four this weekend. That's my pick of the week for appointment viewing. One of the best things about Austin and San Antonio, both, is that they're only about an hour away from each other. Um, it's just terrific cities. And, uh, you know, San Antonio is sure to be just a, a great host for, uh, for this weekend. It'll be good to see the Alamo Dome. I have spent many, many, many an hour in the Alamo Dome for the U.S. Army All-American Bowl Youth National Championship football games. Always around New Year's weekend. Uh, and it, it's just going to be great to see the Alamo Dome center stage on this weekend.
4: Yeah, they've hosted that many times, and the, that River Walk is famous and it draws the attraction of people from all around the country and the Alamo itself. Yeah. Uh, be a nice, nice venue, and you get four teams that. Uh, we're going to set the stage and of course Cinderella is at the dance which always makes it interesting
1: well said AP Uh, perfectly said so on that note we'll call it a show and thank you for joining us and thank you as always for your expertise and perspective
4: hey John thank you very much it's always my pleasure
1: alrighty and as always thank you all for listening to All Around Sports and we look forward to doing it all again next Monday at 1pm Eastern
0: Time